you can guess what the message is this morning. John 3, Encounters with Jesus. We're looking at Jesus' conversation with the teacher in Israel, the Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones of his day, Nicodemus. But unlike Dr. Martin, Nicodemus didn't have a clue when it came to the gospel. Dr. Lloyd-Jones was a gospel preacher, more than anything else. And verses 14 and 15 of John 3 has a beautiful picture of that gospel. As Moses lifted up the bronze serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man, that is Jesus Christ, be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Nicodemus asks Jesus, how can these things be? Jesus has been talking about being born again. You must be born again. If you're not born again, you're not a real Christian. But there is another must in this chapter. There are two musts. The Son of Man must be lifted up. And that talks about Jesus' death on the cross for your sin and mine. And poor Nicodemus, in spite of his vast knowledge of Scripture, is utterly blind to these two glorious pillars of truth. So Jesus Christ goes on now to talk about believe in him and be saved. So the two great gospel truths in this chapter, this is why we're spending so much time in this encounter, is the new birth and faith in Jesus Christ alone, saving us. Look and live. You can't get any simpler, can you? Look unto me and be saved, all you ends of the earth. In a sense... What Jesus is explaining here is how we can be born again. You cannot make yourself born again. I can't command you to be born again. But in Jesus' name, I am commanding every one of us to believe in him, to repent, to turn and look, believe in Jesus Christ. Uh, just as an aside, the triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, is involved in saving us. So the Holy Spirit is the author of the new birth. The new birth is possible, as we'll see this morning, because of the death of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And what's the reason for all of this? For God, the Father, so loved, so loved people like you and me. So let's look at this picture of the death of Jesus Christ on the cross and how we can be saved. Uh, the reading in Numbers was the occasion uh, of uh, this illustration. Nicodemus would have been familiar with the accounts, the children of Israel uh, complaining in the wilderness and God sending fiery snakes. Uh, I think the fiery snake could have been the colour of the serpents, or it could have been the fever 
uh, that people would have had when bitten. And death was certain after being bitten. And God said to Moses, uh, build a bronze snake and set it on a pole. And whoever looks who's been bitten at that will live. And that's what Jesus says. Look to me and live. So, three things this morning. First, the poison, the poison of sin. It's very relevant, isn't it, that it's a snake that sin is compared to. Because it was in the form of a serpent that the devil first came and tempted our first parents in the Garden of Eden. And there is something subtle about temptation. Uh, We tend to think uh, that uh, sin is nothing to be uh, worried about. Uh, Indeed, today, sin is a politically incorrect term. But God is absolutely clear in his word, the soul that sins shall surely die. Sin, however big, however small, however colorful it may be, is rebellion. Heart rebellion against our maker. And it leads eventually to death. Uh, Romans chapter 6, the wages of sin is... Death, not just physical death, but eternal death. That doesn't mean annihilation. It means being separated from the presence of God forever. That's what the Bible calls hell. That is the opposite of eternal life, eternal condemnation. This is why we need to be saved. We all need to be saved from eternal death. This is why Jesus Christ has come into the world. But do you notice something about the sin of the people in Numbers? Did you notice? There's no talk about adultery. There's no talk about murder. There's no talk about other forms of sexual immorality. All the things which we tend to call sin, and they are sin. But what was the sin that caused God to judge the people? It, it was moaning. They, they were harking back to Egypt. They'd been saved from the bondage of Egypt. And they, they were longing for the garlic and the cucumbers and all the pleasures of Egypt. And they were complaining to Moses. And actually, it wasn't Moses they were holding a grudge against. It was God. But when people attack God's servants, it's usually God they're getting at. Now, I have to put this before us this morning because we tend to think, don't we, of sin as just all the immorality that happens outside the church. And that's right. God will judge that. But the context in the book of Numbers, what Jesus is referring to here, is the sin of God's people. My friends, we point the finger, don't we, so well. But 
when there's a finger pointing at others, there's three fingers pointing back at us. And what we need to do in these messages is not be concerned about other people's sins, but about our own sin. Are we a grumbling people? Let us beware. It is the respectable sense that God judges. There's something else about sin being compared to snakes. It's the small ones that are the most poisonous. It is the more colorful ones that are the more deadly. What did Solomon say in Proverbs? There is a way that looks right to a man, but it ends in death. So the poison, the poison of sin, it's in our system. It's not just an outward problem. It's the very fabric of our being. Uh, King David, after he had committed sin, and when he was convicted of his sin, what was the sense that he had? It wasn't even that he had committed adultery with Bathsheba or had contrived to get her husband Uriah murdered. It was this sense, against thee, O God, thee only, have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight? Lord, create in me a clean heart. Lord, my sin is ever before me. I can't get rid of this poison. I'm polluted by sin. Have you got that sense of pollution? God is light in him, no darkness at all. But I'm dark inside. The poison of sin. The poison of sin. And the end, death. But let's look at the antidote, the antidote for sin. What, what is the cure? Well, it's not us who can cure ourselves. When the people were bitten in the wilderness, they went to Moses not to complain this time, but to confess. That's a good picture, isn't it, of becoming a Christian. Instead of complaining to God, we come and we bow the knee and we confess. And our confession is, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. And Moses then intercedes on behalf of the people. And God commands Moses to build this bronze snake. Apparently, in the reign of King Hezekiah, the bronze snake was destroyed because people were idolizing it. So look at the cure. What is the cure? The problem is the snake bite. What is the cure? The cure is in the form of a snake. Isn't that interesting? But there is one thing that the cure does not have. It doesn't have poison. And that's what God has provided for you and for me. The 
cure for sin is not something we do. It's something God has done. That's the gospel. And what God has done is provided something in the likeness of sin. Do you know what I'm referring to? Let me, let me read uh, Paul. Paul in Romans explains the gospel uh, so superbly, so clearly, and yet so detailed. This is how Paul puts it. For what the law, Romans 8 verse 3, for what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh. Is there somebody here this morning who's still trying to save themselves by the law? What is the law? The law is the commandments of God. And you are trying to deal with the poison of sin by making yourself better. But you know you can't do it. This sin is part of my fabric. Uh, for what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh. God did. God did by the sending of his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. So Jesus Christ is a man. God became a man. Bar sin, bar sin. Jesus Christ was born a real baby, a real human being, but he had no sin in him. And then what did he do? Well, he came to do one thing and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh. So Jesus Christ came not just to live, but to die. Even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Just as the bronze serpent was lifted up on the pole, so Jesus Christ was impaled, not on a pole, but on a cross. What was happening on the cross? The perfect, spotless Son of God was made sin. He didn't turn into a sinner, but God considered him as a sinner because Jesus Christ took the curse for your sin and mine. Uh, let me give you an illustration. If you're bitten by a snake and there's no antidote, what you're supposed to do, apparently, I've never done this, is take a knife and cut uh, a cross and then suck the poison out. And then you don't swallow it, but spit it out. Williams Pantakelin, a Welsh hymn writer from the 18th century, uses that as a picture of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. He talks about us being bitten by sin. And he talks about Jesus Christ on the cross sucking the poison out of you and me. And do you know what he did on the cross? He didn't spit it out. A true Gwenwin Hunu and Maru are Galvari. And through that deadly poison, taking it into his system, bearing the punishments for your sin and mine. And because he is the Son of God, he could take it. Isn't that wonderful? For he who knew no sin was made sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Jesus Christ, dying for our sins, in my place, condemned he stood, sealed my pardon with his blood. The blood points to the sacrificial atoning death. Hallelujah. What a saviour. Bronze. Do you know what's true of bronze? Bronze is long-lasting. 
And do you know what I found about Jesus Christ, especially his death, his blood? It never loses its power. When I first came to believe, I first saw this in 1990. How long ago was that now? 30 years or so? That, that blood hasn't lost its power. Jesus Christ is the same today as he was the day he saved me. There's no rust in this bronze. If you think back to the billions of people that have believed in Jesus Christ and been cleansed since his earthly ministry, there's been no lack of power in the gospel. And Jesus Christ is going to be the same forever, forever. So the cure, not what you do, but what Jesus Christ did, his perfect life in your place, but especially his dying on that cross. Were you there when they crucified my Lord? Well, of course I wasn't there. It was 2,000 years ago. I wasn't alive then. But can you say, yes, I was there. Because my sin caused him to suffer. It was my sin that put the crown of thorns upon his head. It was my sin that thrust the spear in his side. It was my sin that nailed those nails into his spotless hands. And you know what? It was his love that kept him on that cross. He could have come down any moment. He could have said, these people don't deserve to live. But he didn't. It was his love that kept him there. The poisonous sin. The cure. Jesus Christ alone. He must die. There's no other answer. Either you will bear your sin for eternity and be lost, or your sin has been borne by another. There is no middle ground. Your sin must be punished. Either it has been punished on the cross, and if that's the case, praise God, because there's no more condemnation for you. Or you will have to bear that punishment in hell. There is no other alternative. Now, the last point. What's the antidote coming to me? Because it's one thing, isn't it, to have an antidote. Imagine if you've been bitten by a deadly snake and you know that there's an antidote. Uh, now, that's good. <laughs> I'm going to live. There's a cure. But unless you avail yourself of that antidote, you're going to die. And God has provided the cure for sin in Jesus Christ. But my friend, unless you avail yourself of Jesus Christ this morning, you're going to die. That's why church is the most dangerous place to be. You can be so near and yet so far from the kingdom. 
I'm sure there are people here this morning who know about Jesus Christ. You know everything there is to know about the antidote. You can recite verse after verse, but you haven't taken it. And there may be somebody else here this morning who doesn't know very much about the gospel, but you know enough to take it. And you are saved. Now then, how do we get cured? Well, this is where I think the illustration is absolutely wonderful. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, his death on the cross, and whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. What, what is it? There was a preacher in Cornwall at the end of the 19th century called Haslam. And he talked about a picture of the scene that we're considering this morning. And I can remember this picture now uh, because you had the serpents uh, Moses had put up and Moses is standing next to the serpents. And there are some people, they're looking at Moses. <laughs> they, they think that Moses can cure them. Now, are you here this morning and you're thinking church or chapel? I was brought up to go to chapel. And I still remember people, they will say, I've been going to chapel for so many decades. I'm going to be forgiven at the end of the day because of chapel going. Now, those are like the people who are looking to Moses. And Moses is pointing not to himself, but to the bronze serpents. Is there anybody here who thinks that just coming to church, is there anybody here who thinks that becoming a member of this church will save them? My friend, we're not here to save you. Jesus Christ is the one who saves. We're here to point to him. Now, in this picture, there are other people. Uh, they are not looking at Moses, but they are looking at themselves and they're going around trying to help all the people that have been bitten now that's a very good and a noble thing to do but the problem is those people have been bitten themselves so they still need to be cured their helping of others isn't going to cure them now oh i don't know how to deal with you if you're here this morning and you're a good person you haven't done anything outwardly outrageously bad and you want to help people, that's a very noble thing to do, and I don't want to say a word against that. But my friend, as we've seen, this poison of sin is part of our system, and you need to be cured first. Just helping others isn't going to cure you of your sin. Come to Jesus Christ first, and then you'll be able to help others. There are some people, they've got a laissez-faire approach in this picture. Do you know what that is? They'll just do nothing, do nothing. Some people think, if I do nothing, I'll be all right at the end. No, you won't. You won't. This poison is going through you. You're going to die. We, we had a funeral on Tuesday. Jeremy would have been younger than a number of you. We're all going to die. And we've got to prepare for that. You can't just say, I'm going to do nothing. And then I'm here making my own additions to this picture of Haslam. I can imagine 
because this is Wales and we love our committees. Uh, people suggesting, let's form a committee to deal with the poison of sin. Well, by the time the committee will have discussed it, uh, people will have died <laughs> of the poison, I'm sure. I'm using my imagination still. And there are others who are thinking, ah, what we've got to do is pass anti-serpent laws. We'll pass anti-snake laws. That will cure us from the poison of sin. And isn't that a danger for some of us? We're so busy denouncing the sin of others. We don't realize that we are sinners and that the whole purpose of the church is not to denounce, but to lift up the Savior of sinners. What are all those groups of people not doing? They're not doing the one thing that God is commanding them to do. Look! And what about you? You may have been coming to this church for a long time, but you still haven't looked. Why not? Why not? When I was seeking, I thought I needed so much faith in order to believe in Jesus Christ. So I tried to muster up enough saving faith. Faith is not a quality you find within yourself, says Scrivener, Glenn Scrivener. Faith is looking away from yourself. I wish I would have read those words 30 years ago. Faith is not a thing to conjure up. Faith is beholding someone else. It's not more faith you need, it's more Jesus. Faith is but the instrument, is the channel that draws on the reservoir of the grace and forgiveness found in Jesus Christ. Don't look at your faith. Look at Christ. Don't look at me. Look to Christ. Don't look at my hand pointing to Christ. Look to Christ. I can't leave this passage without mentioning one of the most famous conversions in the church. Look unto me and be saved, all the ends of the earth. A teenager, he was a teenager, called Charles. Maybe we can call him Charlie. On a snowy day, a good hundred or so years ago, in Colchester, uh, heard a preacher. Well, the preacher couldn't come because of the snow. So another man had to stand in, and this man couldn't preach. He couldn't preach. And all he could do was announce his text, look unto me and be saved. And uh, I don't know where Charlie sat. He sat where the preacher could see him. And this preacher tried his best. My dear friends, he said, this is a very simple text indeed. It says, look. Now look in, don't take a deal of pains. This is the 19th century now, right? So the English is slightly different. It ain't lifting your foot or your finger. It's just look. Well, 
You don't need to go to college to learn to look. You may be the biggest fool, and yet you can look. A man needn't be worth a thousand a year to be able to look. Anyone can look. Even a child can look. But then the text says, look unto me. Many of you are looking to yourselves, but it's no use looking there. You'll never find any comfort in yourselves. Some look to God the Father. No, don't look to him yet. Jesus Christ say, look unto me. Some say, we must wait for the Spirit's working. You have no business with that just now. Look to Christ. And then he goes on. This is all he can do in his sermon. Look unto me, I am sweating great drops of blood. Look unto me, I am hanging on the cross. Look unto me, I am dead and buried. Look unto me, I rise again. Look unto me, I ascend to heaven. Look unto me, I am sitting at the Father's right hand. O poor sinner, look unto me, look unto me. And then he had run out of texts. And then he sees Charlie. He's got a surname, hasn't he? Spurgeon. And he says, and I'll never do this, right? Young man, you look very miserable. Because poor Charlie wanted to be saved. And he tried, he tried. And he felt condemned. He knew he was a lost sinner going to hell if he died. And then the preacher, pointing to him, says, you will always be miserable, miserable in life and miserable in death if you don't obey my text. But if you obey now, this moment, you'll be saved. And then this preacher wound down his sermon and with a mighty shout, he said, young man, look to Jesus Christ. Look, look, look. You have nothing to do but to look and live. And the rest is history, they say. Spurgeon said in his own words, I saw at once the way of salvation. I don't know what else he said. I didn't take much notice of it. But I looked until I could almost have looked my eyes away. And then the cloud was gone. The darkness had rolled away. And that moment... I saw the sun, and I could have risen that instant and sung with the most enthusiastic of them of the precious blood of Christ and simple faith which looks alone to him. We're not in a time of revival. Some of us younger preachers, we may not be as eloquent as the pulpit giants of former times. We may not be living in as much of a Christian culture today as many, many decades ago. But I can do one thing. I can placard my Lord and Savior before you as a congregation. And if you look at the people, do they still have them holding placards in town? That's all that matters, that they're holding up the message. And my message couldn't be simpler this morning. Look to Jesus Christ and live. 
I, I think we complicate the gospel. We, we really do. I, I, I think the hymn we sang, there is life for a look at the crucified one. There is life in a moment for thee. You could have come in here this morning still under condemnation, still uh, suffering from the poison of sin. And if you look to Jesus Christ, in a moment, you can go out of this place singing because you have a hope of heaven. There is life in a moment. Then look, sinner, look unto him and be saved. The people that were commanded to look were not people who were good they were people who were poisoned by the serpents. This gospel is not for people who think they are righteous. It's not for people who have reached a certain place where they think that they deserve to look to Jesus Christ. It's for people who have been bitten by sin and who can't do anything about it and who are condemned. And the message comes and says to you and to me, you just look from where you're sitting and you will be saved. Now, it's, I know it's not easy believism. That look means we confess, we hate sin. But my friends, we complicate the gospel. The hymn goes on to say, It's not thy tears of repentance or prayers, but the blood of that atones for the soul. Then on him who shed it on that cross, thou mayest at once thy weight of iniquity roll. Why are you remaining as you are? Cast all your sin on Jesus Christ. Look and live for his name's sake. Let us close this part of the service by singing together another hymn which uses this account. Lifted up was he to die. It is finished. It is finished was his cry. Number 221.
praise thee that poisoned, uh, bitten sinners like ourselves are invited, even commanded, to look to Jesus Christ alone and be saved. Hallelujah, Father. We thank thee that we can be uh, on the way to life everlasting the moment we turn to thy Son. And doubt not thy welcome, since God has declared there remaineth no more to be done. It is finished. And uh, just draw near to each one of us, but especially to those who are still not looking. And those of us who are looking, help us to keep on looking, even till we can look no more. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>